you can't experience and encounter this God that we sing about. And not tell somebody. You you can't. The worship team wrecked me this morning. You can't. Do do you know what I'm saying? See that. What we've been talking about for five weeks is that you can't encounter God. If you really mean what you're saying about and you experience it. It's unexplainable. It's unconditional. Like you can't experience it, encounter that, and, and not tell some, not share, not embody. You can't. See, it is explainable when you didn't encounter God and you're having to live for yourself. You're, you're having to be your own Savior and Lord. You're having to manufacture your own sense of significance, validation. You're trying to deal on your own self with your insecurities and your fears. God goes, it's understandable when when that is you, that you could be self-absorbed, that you could be about yourself. But the gospel says, but I've healed you of that. The gospel says, I've rescued you out of that. I've... I've delivered you out of a life of self-absorption. And the result is we begin to live for others. Amen? So you can't, I can't manufacture, you can't, I can't like guilt trip. It like, it has to be a powerful encounter of God. But when you do genuinely encounter God, there is this, there's this force field where it just spits you back out into the world where you go, now I live for others and for the sake of others. That's the reason why every single week we gather to try and remind ourselves why we gather. You know, you don't need pastors and church leaders to be cheerleaders and go, go get it. You know, just, it's, It's as simple as this. It's simple as when I am not encountering Christ, I am naturally, I don't know about you, but naturally a self-absorbed person. Like, I don't have to try. It's, It's as easy as breathing. When I am not encountering Christ and encountering his unconditional love. Like my natural, t- it's like breathing. His tendency is my needs, myself, my fears, my insecurities. And I'm walking about the city of Chicago completely oblivious to hurting broken people around me. We've been talking about scent. That this is your identity, yes? That this is your core identity. That you are a scent person that you are on mission and and the foundational verse i don't know how we miss this about the christian life john 17 when jesus in his prayer for his disciples says in verse 18 just as you sent me into the world i am now sending them into the world and the word sent is Greek word missio from where we get the word mission and we've been trying to tell you for five weeks tell myself that we are Essentially, people on mission. 
And the mission, though, isn't just going overseas. It's going across the street. Mission isn't about recruiting converts, but it's about loving neighbor and word and deed. Mission isn't about kind of a, a side thing that we do, but it's figuring out how we do what we normally do and what we love with people who don't know Jesus. It's the story of that guy in our church who's part of a CrossFit gym. And his mentality before we started talking about this was one of, how do I get these guys to come to church? How do I invite them to church? How do I invite them to church? And figuring out eventually that that's maybe not what it means to be on mission. Be on mission means that he noticed that after, you know, after a workout session, like group of guys would go out. And him realizing, maybe that's what I, I just go out with them. I get to know them. I just do life with them. Does it make sense? It's not like, how do I carve out this? No, it's, it's that. It's that. It's that mom in our church. <laughs> I'm looking at you. It's that mom in our church who is doing life with other moms. And hello, they're not Christian. They don't know Jesus. She chooses, if I'm going to spend time with other moms, I do it with 10, 12 other women, other men, other women, moms, who don't know Jesus. So it's not, again, figuring out, like, how do I carve out these two hours? No, it's, I love hanging out with other moms. I'm going to figure out how to hang out with other moms who don't know Jesus. It's being on me. Can I confess something to you? See, I've lost my way. What do I mean? I might get emotional here during this sermon today because this is just, when we planted this church, we said that we weren't, there's thousands of churches in Chicago, and yet Chicago is not changing. There's th- and I said, we're not going to just start another church so that people would love to come to church on Sunday and listen to worship and sermon and go home. Like we don't, I said, we don't need another church where our entire perspective is come to church and do church. Th- I, we said, if we are going to do this thing, we have to embrace this identity that we are essentially sent people and new community people will be missionaries Monday through Sunday, wherever they are. And that our total thing here is to equip you and prepare you for that. I said, if, we, if we're not going to do that, we're just going to play church. Like, there's no reason for another church. But I've lost my way because somewhere on the, on the line, your pastor, even for my own self, got caught up in the whole, well, how many people are coming to church and how many people are giving and who's in small. I was sharing with somebody yesterday. I'm like, maybe I'm just not meant to pastor in North America. Because I, 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 I hate that church has turned into something you attend. I hate that. And that we continue to foster this mentality. Now, I know there's some of you sitting here going, oh, he ain't talking to me. He's talking to somebody else. He's not talking to me. You just get this and you're doing this. I thank God for you. You could teach me a thing or two. What would it be like if every single person that calls New Community their home realized, like, I don't just go to church. I am the church. I am part of, I am the church. 
And my whole deal is not just to attend Sunday worship and smoke. Those are great things. We'll talk about it. But it's on a mission every day. God has things for me to do. How do I do that? How do I do that? And that mentality shift is everything. It's everything. It is everything. We're here to equip you, not to entertain you. I hear a voice in my that goes, you keep preaching like that, nobody's going to come to church then. I'm serious. I think I, I think I need to, and this is like totally counterculture to what I've said, you know, because it's about mission, it's about going. But I, there's part of me that's like, maybe I just need to go overseas somewhere where I just do church, church, do church with me. Meaning like, I'm just impo- equipping people just walking around. You, you're, you're, you're a missionary for Jesus wherever you are. We don't need a building for that. We just, every place along the way in Scripture, God never calls you in without saying, Abraham, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm going to bless you so that what? So you can be a blessing to others. Moses, come on, come on, come close. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Now I need you to go to Pharaoh and deliver my people. Isaiah, come to worship. Come on, come on. What's the whole point of worship? What's the whole point? Is this so that we can go, whoa, that was, um, no, I've touched your lips. Now who's going to go for me? Me, send me. Every place in scripture, God never calls you in without going. Now go out. Come in, go out. Come in, go out. Come in, go out. But here's the thing. We don't get to choose what we do for God. <laughs> Jesus didn't get to choose what he did for God. Do you remember what he said? He was, he was his foundational sort of posture towards what it meant to be a mission. John five seventeen. My father's always at work to this very day, and I too am working. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son, and he shows him. He shows you. He shows me all that he does. I have news for you. God isn't waiting on your memo. God's waiting for us to focus on him so we can get his memo. Can I say that again, Cece? God isn't waiting on your memo. I got some things I want to do. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We don't ask God to come and bless what we're doing. We find out what God's doing and join him. Why? Because it's already blessed. Do you know that if you are a person who is hearing God's voice and as a result you're living your life in mission, impacting those around you, you will be a rare commodity in a culture where everybody's looking for direction. Is that you? Is that me? Are you that rare commodity that gets up and goes, I know what I need to do today. I got his memo. You'll stand out like a sore thumb. And people will be drawn to you like flies. Today we come to one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. 
and what it means to live sent. It's found in Luke 10. Turn your Bibles there. And as you're turning to Luke 10, let me give you some context. There's a shift. Luke is probably my favorite gospel, by the way, in all the gospels. There's a shift in theme right around chapter 10 of the book of Luke. The first nine chapters of Luke, essentially the author asks the question, who is Jesus? And then from chapter 10 on, Luke begins to ask this question, if Jesus is this person, then what does it mean to live in him? What does it mean to follow him? And Luke basically says, disciples are sent people. That, that, that could sum up the entire gospel. Like disciples, you want, you want a simple definition of discipleship? Disciples are sent people. And, and Luke begins to paint a picture in Luke 10 about what it means to live sent. And what we've been talking about again. Fundamental identity in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72. Everybody say 72. 72 others and sent them. That's the title of the sermon, by the way. 70, 72. And we have to look at the context. What, what's the deal with 72? By the way, do you know that there's nothing random in Scripture? There's always a point in intentionality. Now, what, why this number 72? What, why does Jesus pick seven? Not, why not 61, 109? Why, why 72? The context is important. So Luke 10 comes after Luke Okay, you're awake this morning. Luke 9, okay? And Luke 9, Jesus does something. He says, when he called the 12 together, that's the apostles, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out. You can't get away from that word. Sent them, sent them, sent them. To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So Jesus gets the 12 in Luke 9, his hand-packed apostles. And he says, I'm going to give you authority to do everything I do. Heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel. Um, if you only had Luke 9 and there was no Luke 10, here's what we could say. Mission sent. Ah, yes, that's for the apostles. That's for the professionals. That's for the seminary trained. That's for the super Christians like Carlton. <laughs> I know you all think that, right? But Carlton, I know, we are, we are, we are, are we not fallen, depraved sinners desperately in need of God's grace? That's us. Mission is for apostles, super, you know, super spiritual Christians. My job is I bring them to church. That's my job. Then you're going to do all the work. <laughs> right, Pastor Peter? You better preach a good sermon today because I brought a friend today. And you're sitting there all nervous. I, you're going, please don't yell too much today. Please don't get angry today. Can I ask you something? You're totally missing your identity setness if your mindset is one of, my job is to bring them here. It's your job to do the rest. Do you know that? What, why is that? Because the 72. What is 72? Well, you would know. Scholars and commentators would say that Septuagint, which is the great translation of the Old Testament, in Genesis 10, which is reconstitution of humanity after the flood, when God says, I'm going to create the world again. There's something called the table of the nations. And guess how many nations are in Genesis 10? 72. Why? 72 meant everyone. 72 meant Everybody. Can Jesus say any more clearly? Mission is for who? Say it with me. It's for everybody. Mission is for 
everyone. Every Christian is a person in mission. If there's one posture that's non-negotiable, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's the posture of sentness. It's in our DNA. It's embedded in who we are fundamentally as followers of Jesus. We're all sent. Not just me. Not just him. Not just him. Not just a few. We are all sent. Can I get an amen? All of us are sent out. What would it look like if there is a catalytic shift in our mindset again from I just need to bring them to church to how do I be the church at my work? How do I be the church at home? How do I be the church at school? How do I be the church in my everyday life? Verse 2. Then he sent them though by two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was. Why does he send them two by two? Here's the reason why. You can't be on mission without community. Can I... You can't be on mission without community. You will need community for mission. Anybody here thankful that God places us in community for mission? Because let me tell you something. If you are that rare person that is living on mission, nobody has to tell you, hey, find community. You're going to be like, I need some community. Because I'm living on mission Monday through Friday, and I need to be around others who will encourage, affirm, strengthen, empower, pray, with and for. You will desperately seek out a group of people who will be in community with you. For Now, will you notice something here? This is so important. He places them in community for mission. It's for mission that he place. He doesn't place them in community for community's sake. He places them in community for the sake of mission. I said this last week. I'm going to put it up again. Healthy community flows out of unified mission and not the other way around. Healthy community flows out of mission and not. You can't have community for community's sake. Have you ever been a part of a community, small group, where people essentially gather together to socialize, just to hang out, just to, you know, be together? Anybody? And then have you ever been a part of a small group where people are pursuing Jesus and his mission together? And you realize Jesus, when he says in John 12, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You realize there is something about community that happens when a group of people come together and go, I'm about Jesus and his mission. You too, you too, you too, you too. Do you want healthy community? Do you want healthy community? Be a part of a community where you're going, we're pursuing God's mission together. It's just like even in relationships. C.S. Lewis said this. You want really get to know somebody? Then find something else that the two of you are looking at going, isn't that beautiful? A relation with two people are looking at each other going, aren't you so cute? Aren't you so cute? Aren't you so cute? Aren't you so cute? That relationship, compare that to two people who are not looking at each other, but looking at something even grander than them. Isn't he amazing? Can you notice something else also? See, see, I just saw this this week. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Do you think the 72 got to choose who they went out with? (laughs) 
This is so funny to me. It won't be funny to you, but it'll be funny to me. I don't think they got to, I don't think she was like, all right, pick your partner. I don't think he did that. I think he came and said, you will go with you, and you will go with you, and you will go with you. I think they looked at each other, some of them were like, yes. And then there were others who were like, what? No. I won't go out with her. I won't go out with him. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now look around this room. Here's the thing. There's some people in this room that you wouldn't choose either. And we'll talk about it. Do you know why? Because our culture's value system says this. If you come from different social, racial, educational, economic, temperament, whatever background... You two aren't meant to be together. That's our world. Now, I'm going to say something. For some of us, the challenge in sermon series has been this. It's been getting out of our Christian bubble. You know who you are. And I've been talking to you for five weeks. And then there's some of us, though, who go, I don't do community with Christians. No, my life, I love me some non-Christians. Christians, I can't stand them. I got news for you. They are your brother. They are your sister. Essence of Christianity says when you get joined to God, you get a heavenly what? Say it. Father. Which means when you get related to him, you get related to who? Other kids in his family. Which means they become your brother and your sister. Do you know what Jesus said in John 17? Do you remember his prayer? Do you remember that part when he prays for what? That those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be what? One, Father. Just as you are in me and I'm in you, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be what? One as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity and then period. And then he says, following word, then they will know. That you sent me and you've loved them even as you've loved me. He has the audacity to go, complete unity, then they will know that I am the sent one. He's literally going, how will the world know that you sent me, Father? By our what? A loving unity. A loving unity, Jesus says, is the way that they will know that you sent me. Our loving unity, Jesus says, will testify to the watching world that at the heart of the gospel is a God who reconciled lost sinners to himself and us to each other. The church is to demonstrate the reconciling power of the gospel by living And reconciling relationships with each other. Others who are different from us culturally, racially, educationally, socioeconomically. What is so remarkable about Christians loving other Christians who are just like them? And Jesus says, the remarkable thing though, is if you who come from totally different backgrounds 
are able to display the reconciling power of the gospel by your love for each other. Is anybody feeling the weight of this this morning? See, how do we expect the world to believe in the reconciling power of the gospel if the church in its life together is not living reconciling lives? How do we heal a divided nation when the church is divided? How do we do that? So here's a question for you and me. Do you love the idea of community more than those who are around you this morning? I'm quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, if you are a Christian who loves the idea of community more than the people that God has placed you with, you are danger to that community. How are we doing? I don't like who he paired me up with. Jesus goes, maybe that's the point. Let that sit with you for a bit, but we need to move on. Verse 2. And he told them, the harvest is what? Plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you know? Let me just put this up. If the world were a village of 100 people, 20 right now live in extreme poverty, and 67 live far from God. If the entire world, can you leave that up there, Andrina? Or a village of 100 people, the entire world, what, almost 7 billion now? 20 live in extreme poverty and 67 don't know Jesus. He knew what he meant when he said the harvest is what? Plentiful. And then he goes on. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to, <laughs> can't get away from that word, <laughs> Send out workers into his harvest field. Does anybody find it amazing that God allows us to join and partner with him through prayer in his work? Anybody? Do you know why prayer is so important in the work of mission? Do you remember this verse by the Apostle Paul? Some of you may never come across it. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. The Bible says for every friend or family who doesn't know Jesus, there is an enemy who wants to keep them that way. I'm going to say it again. For every friend, family, co-worker who doesn't know Jesus, you and I just go, well, they're just not interested. The Bible says there is an enemy who is actively at work to keep them from coming to know Jesus. How do you deal with that? The Bible says, I've given you the spiritual weapon of what? Prayer. Prayer. I've given you the privilege and honor of prayer to fight against the enemy of darkness. The Bible is saying don't neglect the spiritual weapon of prayer that God calls us to wield on behalf of those who don't follow God. Can I ask you something? Do you, do you and I actually believe that there is a battle in the heavens for our friends and family who don't know Jesus? And do you believe that the first thing that God calls us to do is to pray on behalf of those who are far from God. 
And prayer works because we're praying to the one who is constantly at work. And we're going to do this, by the way, end of the service. You received a, a bulletin insert. And I'm going to give you directions a little bit on how we could regularly pray. But, but two exhortations, and then we need to move on. First is this, when it comes to prayer. Learn to pray consistently. Learn 1002. That's literally Luke 10, verse 2. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your phone. Not now, not now. Get your phone, for some of you. Literally set the alarm to 10.02 in the morning. And when the alarm goes off, spend 30 seconds to a minute praying for the people that don't know Jesus. 10.02 every day. As soon as the, it doesn't take more than 30 seconds to a minute, pray. On behalf of those. Do you know, my, my, my son Parker is learning to play the guitar. It's so cute. He's a lefty. What happens when you play guitar, do you know? You, you, get, you get, first you get blisters. And then you get what? Calluses. Do you know what the difference is between a blister and a callus? I'll tell you what it is. A blister. Blister testifies that you're doing something that you don't normally do. Okay? That's my son right now. It hurts like crazy. A blister testifies or blister emerges because the skin is being pressured and rubbed in a new way. That's a blister. A callus testifies that you've been doing something, what, over and over and over and over. A callus testifies that you're doing something, not just over and over, but it emerges because the skin has accepted that what you're doing is a normal part of your life. My question, is your prayer life more like a blister or a callus? Is your prayer life more like a blister? May God grant you and me the challenge for our knees to get calloused. So we are interceding on behalf of our family and friends. Nothing gives me greater joy than every week somebody will write a prayer request and say, can you pray for so-and-so? It's a mom, it's a dad, it's a sister, a brother, boss, co-worker, that they would come to know Jesus. Secondly, real quick, keep track of your prayers and the answer to those prayers. Anybody keep a prayer journal here? Anybody? Just like three people raise their hand. I would love for us to begin to, you know Why? See, see, there's something that happens when you write detailed requests and answered prayer where you actually tangibly get to see God at work, and it's amazing. Verse 4. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road, which I still don't understand what that's all about. <laughs> I don't. I'm just being honest with you, okay? I've looked in the Greek. I've, I, don't, I have no idea what that means. Why? He goes, don't greet people. Verse 5, when you enter a house, say, peace to this house. Verse 7, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. There are two things that I do know about that I want to share with you. First and foremost, Jesus is telling them to rely on the hospitality of those that you enter. 
Meaning, Jesus is literally saying to them, whenever you go to a town, I want you to know that you're not just being sent there, but I want you to go and submerge into the life of the people there. Eat the food. Get to know the culture. Get to know the people. Get to know the rhythms of life. John 1.14 John says this is about Jesus. This is a message version. The word is talking about how Jesus became flesh and blood. And what? I love this. Say it with me. He moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> Jesus didn't come as a visitor. Be like, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. But I'm never. Jesus come and said, I'm going to submerge deeply into the people, the culture, and the rhythms of life. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your dorm Mates, do you know your coworkers? Uh, but there's something else here. The instruction to the disciples was that when they enter the town, they're to find the house that welcomed them. And he says, I want you to stay there and don't move around from house to house. In other words, check this out, you guys. Stability rather than mobility was to be the norm. I'm going to say it again. Stability rather than mobility. Here's the principle. And this is going to upset some of you. But that's okay. You and I are not just sent to go, but you go where you're sent and you stay until you're sent elsewhere. Who said, come on? (laughs) The principle is you don't just go. He says, go where you're sent and you stay until you're sent elsewhere. And I'm telling you this morning, I don't know if there's a more prophetic act or a stance for a follower of Jesus in a culture of constant mobility and constant stability to say, I'm going to stay long term for the sake of the gospel and the people here. I don't know if there's a more countercultural radical act than the culture that we live in today to go, I'm going to stay and be faithful to the mission that God has me here. And staying might mean for some of us literally a geographic location. I haven't said this in a while. I'm going to say it right now. Some of you came to Chicago. I'm going to say for two years. It may mean that you stay for what? Four years. Some of you go, I came to Chicago stay for four years for school and then I'm out of here. It may mean you stay six. It may mean you stay eight. It might mean your place of employment. Some of you are like, I can't wait to get I know you can't wait to get out. Amber, you, you hear me? You, you might not, but I know God's gotten your memo like a thousand times. Get me out of here. You know what else it might mean? It might mean relationships, staying. What do I mean? I'm talking about in a city like Chicago. Do you realize how long it takes to get to know somebody? I mean, this is like a no-brainer, but I need to be no-brainer this morning. I, I, I get people in our church come to me and go, why is it so hard to get to know people? And they do always that. They never look at me. Why is it always, I don't want it so hard to get to know people. Because they know what I'm going to say. I go, look at me, look at me, look at me. Do you travel for work? Yes. Are you busy on week? Yes. Is your schedule packed? Yes. How long have you been here? A year. In a transient, busy, incredibly packed city like Chicago, how do you expect to earn someone's trust in a matter of weeks or months? How do you expect to earn someone's trust unless you're willing to what? Stay. 
There was a time when monks were free to go from monastery to monastery. Did you know that? I didn't know that until this week. If the worship wasn't exciting, or the bed was a little too hard, <laughs> I'm serious, or the advent was a little too bossy, monks were like, I'm out of here. And they went and found another monastery. And then a guy named St. Benedict came along. Do you guys have heard of him? He's like, monks doing that is not good for the monastery, but more importantly, it's not good for his soul. So anybody coming to stay with him had to do a vow of stability. And here's what the vow of stability said. Some of y'all need to write this. The vow of stability was, no matter what problems I face, I am ready to stay here and work through how to serve God in this place. A vow of stability. Some of you have lacked clarity about your future. What if this became your vow? Here's the thing that I found amazing. You ready? Where you are right now, it's not an accident. And God cares more about your obedience for the next 10 minutes than the next 10 years of your life. What if you said, God, I'm here, not by accident, but because you have something for me here. And what if as you're fulfilling faithfully that call there, God goes, let me give you clarity about your future. Paul says in Acts 17, he has the audacity to say this, God determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Who determines where you live? (laughs) Who determines where you live? God does. So can I ask you a question? Then why are you claiming lordship over this area of your life? Why do you pray for your future spouse and never pray for your future residence? Jesus. Why do you pray for your future career and never pray about, God, where do you want me to live? Why do you just assume that you get to choose and you get to decide? It's uncomfortable in here this morning. CC. Wow, you guys. I know this is hard for some of us because we're going, I can't wait to get out of Chicago. The rest of that verse, by the way, Paul says, God has you in Chicago, check this out, so that you would seek him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Do you know why you're in Chicago right now at this time? I go to school here, Mm -mm, wrong answer. I work here, Mm -mm, wrong answer. I'm here because I love the culture and the food and the people, wrong answer. Do you know why you're in Chicago? God says, there's something here I have for you for you to get to know me better. God might be calling you to say with me, stay until you are sent elsewhere. Verse 8. When you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what is offered to you. And of course, anybody that's been on mission field, you eat that and you laugh. You're like, oh, yes, we could all share stories. We're not going to do that this morning. But I think eating what is set before you is not just a literally, like if they give you I'll share a story real quick. If they give you, I actually, no, I won't. Because then all of you are going to want to share. 
I think it's not literally going, whatever is placed before you, whether it be this and that. I think what this is saying is this. When you go to a place, I want you to engage in whatever conversation, ideas, and thoughts they have. The best missionary posture is not going and going, I have an agenda. I got some things I want. No, God goes, no, no, no. You go, and your posture is one of, what do you want to talk about? It's asking really good questions. It's engaging in dialogue. It's being great at listening, as we've been saying. Can I just, I I felt silly doing this, but I came up with a list of questions I like to ask. And I know some of you are like, is he seriously doing this? I I am seriously doing it because these are questions. By the way, on this list, you will not find these questions. I don't ask these questions when I'm sitting with a non-Christian. I don't go, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? I don't do that. I do it here. I don't do that. I don't do that. Because I did that once. Have you been washed with the blood of the lamb? I know y'all laughing at me. And they looked at me like I was cray cray. So I don't do that anymore. You know what else I don't ask? You know what else I don't ask? I don't go, if you were to die tonight, I don't do that. Would you go, I don't do that. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? That worked 30, 40 years ago in a Christian culture. It doesn't work today. So here are questions that I do ask when I'm sitting in my coffee shop and I get in a conversation with somebody and the spirit prompts. Where are you on your spiritual journey? Where are you? Second question. Do you have a religious background? Tell me about it. By the way, it's amazing how many times I get somebody going, yeah, I grew up Catholic. It's amazing. Third, uh, do you have, uh, what were your earliest impressions of who God might be? Or sometimes I go, what do you think of God or Jesus? Here's a fourth question. Uh, what keeps you going when things are tough? By the way, I don't know if it's this face or what it is, but when I sit with somebody, people just start talking. I don't think I'm that, like, friendly. <laughs> and I'm not that warm. I'm not a Michael Washington, you know. Like, you sit with Michael, you're like, let me tell you about my life. I don't think, I, I don't think that's me, but it's amazing. It's amazing, like when I sit at a coffee shop, people, he, I, I, they just talk. And, and a lot of times, it's amazing how quickly they talk about things that they're struggling with. Here's another question. Uh, has there been a time in your life when you felt God was closest? Here's another, mm, I love that you guys were, here's another question, my favorite. What are some of your biggest issues with Christians today? I love asking that question. I love asking that question. Here's another one. What do you think about prayer and whether it does anything? I've actually said to people right there in coffee shops, say, can I pray for you? And Rick talked about this. There are times when people go, no, no, that's weird. But it's amazing how often people go, yeah, you could pray for me. Uh, Do you think there's any overall meaning and purpose to life? I don't ask that, by the way, if I have five minutes. <laughs> Sometimes I go, I've got like five minutes where I need to go pick up my kids, and I go, what do you think about life? <laughs> Mistake. You don't do that with five minutes. Ask really good questions. And here's the thing, real quick. Anyway, when people open up, and it's amazing they open up, Christians, they, they'll say and do stuff that, frankly, might shock you, right? This is, whoa, Okay. And, 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 and some of us go, whoa, I've done that before. I'm just making fun of myself. And, and here's the thing. You know you got that urge to like correct them, right? When they say stuff like, well, I believe that every path is way to God. And there's part of you that goes, but Jesus is the way, the truth. 
There's a time for that. Let me put it, it's appropriate to stand for truth, but it's also appropriate to allow space for people who don't know Jesus to question truth. Can I say that again? It's okay to stand for truth. I do. I've been talking about this for four weeks. I will not, I will not compromise my conviction, my truth. But when you're talking to somebody, it's okay to offer space for people to question truth. All we're doing is creating safe space for someone to go, I don't know about that. That's cool. I don't believe in that. That's okay. Verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come on you. We are sent to do what, church? Tell them and heal them. We're sent to proclaim, sent to demonstrate. We're not called to do one or the other. We are called to do both. Can I, can I finally get an amen? Can we stop making a dichotomy? People are, well, you just need to just share it and don't say anything. Where do you see that in the Bible? Well, you just need to just shut your mouth and just live it. Jesus didn't. And then there's a part of some of us, we just sometimes need to shut our mouth and live it first. But it's both. It's always both. And what are we sent to proclaim and demonstrate? Church, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. Not Jesus died for you so you can go to heaven. Not the kingdom, the good news is the kingdom. If somebody asked me, said, can you define what the gospel is? My simple would be, it's Jesus. But what I find is when you go, it's Jesus, people go, and what about Jesus? So this is the definition that I've come up with of what the good news of the gospel is. Will you say this with me? Say this with me. This is what you are sent to proclaim and to demonstrate. Proclaim and to demonstrate. Say this with me together. There's two slides here. First one. The gospel is the good news that through Jesus, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world. Second part. And when we trust and rely on Jesus' work and record for our relationship with God, that kingdom power comes into us and begins to work in us. This is one of the most significant theological rediscoveries of our time. Some of you that have been here, you've heard me talk about this. The ministry of Jesus was to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God is here. And understanding the kingdom of God means that when sin entered the world, everything fell apart. Not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other and all of creation. And the work of Jesus, literally from Genesis to Revelation, when you see it, is that someday the king would return and he would heal and restore everything. That includes our relationship with God, but also includes our relationship with each other and all injustice, all evil, all sin. The work of Jesus was to proclaim the rule and reign of God that would heal all things. Paul says so in Colossians chapter 1. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth and heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Please hear it one more time. The work of Christ wasn't just individual forgiveness. And I am thankful for that. Are we thankful for God's forgiveness of sins? We are thankful for his grace and his mercy. But the good news, the good news that we are sent to proclaim and demonstrate to our family and friends is that Jesus also came to restore marriages. He came to restore communities. He came to heal nations. He came to rid our world of poverty and sickness and death. 
You know what that means? It means the gospel of the kingdom reminds us. The gospel of the kingdom reminds us that the end of this whole deal, the end goal, is not we go to heaven, but that heaven comes to us. <laughs> Some of you are one yes. The gospel of the good news, and which one of our friends would not be open to hearing this? The gospel is good news that through Jesus, someday, Heaven is going to come to earth. Theology of hope is not just about heaven, but it's about remaking and transforming earth. The good news is that God isn't just interested in what happens in heaven for God's people, but he's just as interested in what happens on earth for all of people. And the good news that God calls us to demonstrate and to proclaim is that the kingdom of God was ushered in through his death and resurrection. And God goes, hey you, hey you, I am going to intentionally put you in places and things where you, you get to foster and nurture a part of the kingdom there. It's like that I told you guys. It's like that couple in our church whose kingdom ministry simply was, as they're getting to know their neighbors, they realized a neighbor down, right down the street is having marital problems. And as they got to know them, they realized that part of the reason is they all both have three jobs and they have four kids. So their kingdom ministry to show them that God cares about marriages was to watch the four kids once a week so that the couple could go out on a date night. And in that place, that couple experienced a glimpse of shalom. Hmm? And God's desire under his rule and reign to restore not just us to God, thank you for that, but marriages. In what ways is God calling you to be a part of remaking your world for Jesus? Hmm? How might you participate with God and bring in a glimpse of his shalom? But there's one other thing. I'm almost done. I've got to get to the gospel and Jesus, of course. One more thing before I get to And that is this. Jesus, the kingdom of God, has something out there, but he said it's among you. It's coming into you. Becoming a Christian, you guys, is not about getting fire insurance so we can go to heaven. It's about inviting, hello anybody, God's rule and reign into our lives. That means some of us didn't get this memo from God. Some of us, when we became Christian, it was like, my life goes on as planned, except I have Jesus along for the ride. My kingdom agenda doesn't change, but I have him to help me now. I have news for all of us. Jesus, wanna be, Jesus doesn't want to be in our kingdom if he was, he wouldn't be worthy of worship. Jesus, I don't want to be a part of your kingdom agenda. I'm coming to remake and renew everything. And that includes your life. Will you get on my kingdom agenda with me? Is he your king? Is he my king? Who calls the shots? Hmm. You cannot enter the kingdom with Jesus just as your savior and reject him as king. Is he your king? Who sets the agenda for your life? Can I just say something real quick? When somebody's ready to follow Jesus, we're not asking them to change their belief system. We're asking them to submit their entire lives to the creator of the universe. I think if we ask people to take incremental steps, we'll get incremental disciples. Is your king?
I'm almost done here, verse 17. Then the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. To which Jesus said, yes. No. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, let's deal with that real quick, okay? We're done. Annette, they come, they go, Jesus, the demons. And Jesus, instead of going, isn't that awesome? Jesus is not a party pooper. He's not a killjoy. Whereas some of you think, look at John chapter 2, his first miracle, okay? He does, he's not a party pooper. But there's something going on in the lives of his disciples that's so dangerous, Jesus puts on the brakes and goes, I love that you're out on mission. But there is something so dangerous happening in your heart right now. What is happening? Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that what? Your names are written. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, I am concerned about something that's going on in your heart. He's doing spiritual surgery right now in me and in you. He's going, I love the fact that you're on mission, but there's something going on in your heart that's so dangerous. See, the great danger for most of us is not that we rejoice in bad things. It's that we rejoice in what? The wrong things. What do I mean? Rejoice, Jesus says, not that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that what your names are written in heaven. Can I ask you something? How are you going about on a weekly basis finding a name for yourself? You know, significance and worth. Jesus says, it's not a bad thing that you're doing wonderful things for God, but why are you finding your name in that? Why are you finding your significance in that? Why are you finding your worth in that? See, before printing, if your name was written somewhere, you were a person of status. You were a somebody. Each town had a town role. It's like a census. And the only people whose names were written were citizens or noblemen. In other words, to have your name written somewhere meant that you were significant, that you were a person of worth. Jesus is saying, how are you going to get a name? How am I going to get a name? How are we going to find our worth? How are we going to find our significance? Is there anything more relevant for you and me than this? You and I live and breathe a culture that says, spend and shed blood, sweat, and tears to find a name for yourself. Go out and find a name for yourself. How are you going to do that? I'm successful. How are you going to do that? I I have a lot of money. How are you going to do that? Look at the grades I get. How are you going to do that? Look how beautiful I am. How are you going to do that? Look at all the people I'm helping. We are shouted by the world to go find your significance and your worth. Find your name. That's how you know who you are. And whatever ministry or field you get into, if you and I are saying, Peter, how are you going to know who you are? Look how many people come to our church. How are you going to know who you are? Look at all the kids that I'm helping. How are you going to know who you are? Look at all the money I give away. How are you going to know who you are? Look at all the good things that I'm doing in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, if that is your motivation, that's spiritual point. Poison. It's toxic. It's toxic. 
toxic, man. It's toxic to go on a mission and say, this is how I know God loves me. Jesus goes, how are you going to know that God loves you? You know what he says? I've shed my blood, my sweat, and my tears, and I've given you a name. See, see, it's got to be the Holy Spirit. Because when up there, you guys are singing, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written, what? On his heart. Will you please, will you please, I beg of you, I urge you, followers of Jesus, I beg of you, do not make this mistake that your pastor has made over and over again, over again. Don't find your name, your significance, and your worth in the good things that you're doing for God. Find your name in the fact that your name is written on his chest. And when God sees me, the name that's written is not just Peter. It's beloved. It's son. It's holy. It's righteous. It's perfect. Is that good news to anybody? Your name is already, past tense, written. On his hand and on his heart. This is the love that you're looking for. This is the significance that you're looking for. This is the status that you're looking for. I implore you, brothers and sisters, I implore you with every might, every ounce of energy I have, do not go out there and rejoice. And all the amazing things you do. It's poison. Rejoice. Say with me that your names are written on his hand and on his heart. You were given an insert. I need you to take it out right now. CC. Tear out this portion under bless and begin with prayer. If you've been journeying with us, you know that we've been leading up to this. We've been talking about how practically living out on mission involves being a blessing. And the BLESS, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share your story. And we've been, uh, Brian, will you help me, brother? Can you bring that table over here, please? Thank you. Pastor Michael, is there a basket right next to you where I was sitting? Did I bring a basket and put it right here? I hope, no, it's okay, don't worry about it. I hope you heard me when I said to you, Everything it begins with prayer. Everything, literally everything, everything begins with prayer. And I hope some of you find this encouraging because, man, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at some of my family members even that I've been praying for years, and I go, God, there's no humanly possible way that we want to come to know you. To which I the voice of God going, it's not humanly possible, child. It's, it's, it's got to be me.
And I hope that every single one of you would do this this morning. On one side, it's identical. On one side, there are spaces for you to write names of folks, family, coworkers, neighbors, that you love, that you care for, that you've been praying that they would come to know Jesus. Um, in the back of that, real quick, is, 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 is various ways, actually, that you could pray for them, okay? If you're not sure what to pray for, you could pray that they would become thirsty for God. You could pray that they take genuine steps to repentance. You could pray that they would clearly experience God's love. You could pray that they would develop deep spiritual rootedness in Christ. A number of ways you could pray. And what we want you to do this morning is on one side, and there's pens in your pews, fill that out with as many names that you want. And here's the exciting part. Duplicate that on the other. And this I want you to, in the next couple of minutes as we pray, this I want you to bring forward and put at this table. And what we're going to do as a church family, literally, is we're going to take all of these cards up here. And we are going to intercede and pray for their names. Say, how long, Peter? We're going to pray until they come to know Jesus. That might take years. We're going to pray for years. We're not going because we stay until we sent elsewhere, right? So we're going to look on you. So that's what this is for. And I was hoping that every single person would be able to fill this out. It was exciting to have many of you, many of you write down names even last week as a good exercise. You took it home with you. Well, this time you take one side with you, put it in your Bibles, put it in your dash, put it in your refrigerator, wherever, and the other bring up here. Just take a minute, 30 seconds or so. Let me just pray for us, Jesus. It's an amazing honor and privilege to know that you actually hear our prayers. They hear the prayers of your people. What? They'll get to come into your presence. And that you care and that you love our family, friends, these folks, way more than we'll ever know. We're also sober, Father, about the fact that there is a spiritual battle in the unseen realm. And we need to pray. So Father, we begin this journey. For some of us, we've been doing it for years. And I say so thank God for these men and women. For some of us, we've never, literally never done this. And we begin today. So church family, in the next minute or so, as you've written down the names of people, while CC is just playing the background and worship team comes up to get ready, CC, can we sing that song? Our name is written on his, that song that we say as a closing, just as a declaration and a reminder that our names are written, where we get our motivation from. So we're going to close. But take a minute or two, and when, whenever you're done writing that, just come right up. This table is right here. Just come right up. Again, keep one for yourself, and the other one up here. And our church family will intercede and pray consistently without ceasing for years, if that's what it takes. For your mom, for your dad, for your brother, your sister, your coworker, your boss, your neighbor, your schoolmate. We want to pray for them. So when you're done filling it out, go ahead and bring it up front and put it on this table right here. Put it on this table right here. Go back to your seat. 
And as you go back to your seat, remain standing as the worship team comes up and they lead us in this song of response.